C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hi campers, it's Shay here, Camp Adulthood And I'm Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth Do you like how I did something different there? I, I liked it I just feeling inspired, yeah, I thought so Okay, um, so we're here, short episode, just the two of us uh, we're Just gonna the two read... of us do, 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 do. This is how we get people how to think that goes. we're lesbians Oh, I love it. Intrigue. Hi, David. Maybe they'll talk about us. <laughs> Hi, Corey. Um, they'll talk about us on a uh, maybe on a podcast gossip blog. Is that a thing? Can we make it a thing? Because yes. I want to. Totally. Um, so we're going to kick off today's special Shay and Maddie friendship podcast with um, a an email um, or a submission through our website, actually, from one of our number one fans. Uh, we've heard from him before, Michael. Um, so <clears throat> this is very important. This also goes back to our conversation, if you all remember, um, a few weeks ago uh, about the national anthem at the Super Bowl and yes. how uh, Justin Timberlake sucked. And if you um, want to email us, it's hello at campadulthood.com, or you can use the form on the website, as Michael is wont to do. Yeah, he's very good at it. So many methods to get in touch with us. All right. <clears throat> Dear Camp Adulthood, I was listening to your podcast Monday, and the topic of the national anthem came up. It was a coincidence because the night before, during the NBA All-Star Game, I watch, I think he meant I watched, the most uniquely terrible national anthem performance I've ever heard by John Yergi's all-time favorite artist, Fergie. Is this true, Maddie? It is true. We'll go into that after you're done okay. reading. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, in my experience, singers fuck up the national anthem in one of two ways. Number one, they forget the words. How can you forget the words? That was my addition. <laughs> or number two, they start in too high of a key and their voice cracks when they reach, quote, rocket's red glare. End quote. <laughs> Fergie found a different way. Ever since Jose Feliciano's beautiful rendition of the Star Spangled Banner at the 1968 World Series, musicians have been trying to put their own spin on the anthem. Sometimes they'll make it more soulful or country or rock and roll. Oh, my God, this is kind of mean. I did read this, but I kind of forgot. Uh, sorry, Michael. Fergie decided to spice up the song by singing it like a complete jackass. <laughs> I think she was trying to do it like a raspy it's jazz It's funny singer. because you're reading this, side note, but I'm, like, reading it in Michael's voice, and it Am makes sense. Am I doing a good impression? Yeah. That's good. Um, like a raspy jazz singer, but it sounded more like an avant-garde drunkard singing it in the shower. <laughs> All the players and the audience members were trying not to laugh. Her humps <laughs> could not save her this time. It was not glamorous or fergalicious. It was so bad, even big girls cried. Her response to the backlash was basically, I tried my best, but I guess people just didn't like it. If she was smart, she would have said she was protesting police brutality. So here's my question. Is Fergie still John Yergi's favorite? 
Do you guys think any less of her? Do you cut her the same slack you gave Pink for the Nash for the Super Bowl national anthem? Sincerely, Michael. I am a regular millennial. Yes. Thank you, Michael. Um, I guess we'll start from the the. We'll go backwards on this. We talked about this during uh, Terrence's episode, but the pink thing was totally different because she fucked totally. it up because she had the flu and yeah. she had a lozenge in her mouth. So definitely the answer to that question is we give pink some more slack. Um, okay. To answer the John Yerke question. So yes, uh, at one point in time and probably still currently, Fergie is one of John Yerke's favorites. I actually went to a Black Eyed Peas concert with my father Um and we were both equally delighted to be there. And, you know, I think it's partially, which I don't get. I think her solo album with, like, Big Girls Don't Cry is good, you know? And the Black Eyed Peas did put on a great show. Um, but I also think part of the appeal is that my dad thinks that she's attractive, which I fundamentally disagree with because Her I don't... face is all fake. Yeah. From all and she meth. was on meth. Yeah. So... Yeah. That part of it I disagree with. But uh, yeah, I was in a family group text about this national anthem. And my dad was uh, very silent. It was just my mom that was like, yep, it was bad. My brother brought it up. He was like, did you hear that? And my mom was like, yes, it was bad. And I was like, yes, it was bad. And then nothing from John. So I don't know if he's trying to save face because Fergie's his favorite and he doesn't want to disparage her publicly. Um, But maybe, you know, John, if you have a... A rebuttal you can email us and defend Fergie or tell us why you know maybe she's not your favorite could happen but yeah no to answer Michael's question I have not talked to young John about the Fergie debacle but I agree it was a bad rendition um we can post the video so people can watch it that haven't heard it but yeah it was bad she took a risk and it failed um, I did not see it, so I cannot pass judgment, but I'm not going to search it out given this, uh, very non-glowing recommendation. Um, but yeah, Fergie, sorry, no slack. And also, whoever was like, you know, who would be good at this? Fergie? Yeah. Poor choice. Weird. I mean, the thing is, Fergie, like, God bless her, like, I really admire her for, like, coming back from meth and leading the Black Eyed Peas and being pretty, like, a pretty cool lady. And she, I definitely, you know, have some respect for her. But if I'm thinking, like, I'm the show planner and I'm looking for someone to sing the national anthem, it makes more sense to send someone, pick someone like Pink, who has a very powerful voice, where poor Fergie just doesn't. Like, what she does is great, but it is auto-tuned. It is a very specific type of music. It is not meant to belt out the national anthem. Yeah, totally. Um, They set her up for failure, I think, personally. I agree. I agree. All right. I think that was a good discussion. Um, Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, Shay, do you have a millennial moment of the week? Um, So I just thought of it, actually, right now, in between this doubleheader session, uh, and it has to do with podcasting and social media. Yay! Our two favorite things. Our two favorite things. Uh, So I was on, so about, oh, God, more than 10 years ago now, I worked at a really wonderful Pilates studio in Cleveland, Ohio, called In Spiral Motion. And when I was there, um, one of the other young Pilates um, instructor, I was not a Pilates instructor, let me refrain. I, I like managed the studio. Um, but one of the Pilates instructors was this really lovely young lady uh, named Emily, and we were about the same age, so we got to be friends. But um, she moved back to uh, North uh, Carolina, 
South Carolina, Wilmington, where is that? I don't even know. Um, North Carolina. And I moved, also moved away from Cleveland. And, you know, we've like kept in touch via social media, but um, she's doing super well for herself. And she recently, or I guess within the past couple of years, has opened her own uh, studio and um, is just growing by leaps and bounds. And that's really great. So the point of the story is um, she had posted on Facebook and like, I will like her pictures from time to time, but I wouldn't say that we talked regular, talk regularly or anything. Um, but she had posted a question. Um, she's starting a podcast to kind of promote her business and talk about wellness issues that are important to her. Um, and I responded and I just loved like she had asked about um, what kind of equipment she needed and should she get a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air et cetera, et cetera. And I just loved that I responded to her. And of course, she was like so sweet and lovely and got back right away. But there was no I think what I love about social media is not only did it completely level this playing field and we, I guess level the playing field is not the right term, but it kind of swept away these barriers. So we both felt completely comfortable talking to each other, even though we haven't really talked in 10 years. Um, but the people who responded to this um, thread that she posted on Facebook, you know, was all of these people that we worked together with 10 years ago. And I just thought that was like, so incredible. And we, I think, really can get down on social media, but it is this amazing tool for connection. And actually, I want to ask Emily to call in to our podcast, maybe during Recordapalooza, because oh, yeah. nice. um, she's a super interesting person. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to be like, you know, it was really great that I was able to use, you know, we were able to use this platform to help each other out um, and share knowledge and um, be supportive of one another. So yay social media and yay podcasting. So I think that's super interesting. I've also found, and I know like other popular podcasts, they like make fun of this. Like the guys we fucked girls do it all the time where they're like, Oh, everybody has a podcast now. And like, Mm -hmm. that's obviously not true, but like, I've definitely noticed like at my birthday party this year and like, it's it's biased obviously because people know that I have a podcast so it's like a relevant topic to like tell me but like I had two people at my birthday party that were both like I'm starting a podcast and one of them which like this made me feel good they were like oh I saw that you could you did it yourself and you're like continuing to like do the DIY podcast thing and so they were like oh I had been like sitting on this idea and then I saw that like you got it off the ground so like I want to do it so I was like okay that makes me feel good um but it was just interesting like the people it still is a lot of work I don't want to say that it's not but it's definitely easier than some other things but um I was talking to Caitlin about this actually or past Mm -hmm. um guest because she had two podcasts but they were both like very specific um like projects that she was working on and -hmm. so they were like shorter whereas this one is like kind of ongoing but she was like yeah I she was telling me this off mic but she was like yeah I thought that I could just like buy some equipment and like talk into a microphone for like 20 minutes a week and then like just put it online and like that's it but then she was like the reason why I didn't continue doing it is because it's like a lot of work and I was like yeah uh it's definitely like hours and hours every week so um Mm -hmm. I think you can definitely tell and I hope that we're in this category of people um that put the work into it and it sounds like your friend with her new podcast is putting the work into trying to make it the best that she can be but it's interesting yeah. the people that are just like I want to not that Caitlin's like this but you know the people that are kind of like I'm just doing this because it's trendy and it's easy and I can do it from my bedroom with my pajamas on and then you realize that it actually is a lot of work 
Exactly. Exactly. That's very interesting. What is your millennial moment? Um, so it's kind of, it just happened this afternoon. So our previous guest, Alana Rubin, if you haven't listened to her episode, it's great. Um, yes. She is our staff writer for Elite Daily. And I almost wish her episode was amazing, but I almost, maybe we'll bring her back for like part two at some point. But I, I wish we had brought her on later because we when we had her on she was kind of between gigs like she had just moved back she was in dc for a while doing something and then she was kind of freelancing for a while and now she's like a staff writer at elite daily and so we kind of caught her in that in between time but now she works for elite daily and she writes like it's just been an interest i've been hanging out with her a lot more recently like we've always been friends but now we've we've kind of grown closer as of Mm -hmm. late and i I've been hanging out with her quite frequently and she has been telling me like these publications like Elite Daily like she is publishing like four articles a week wow. and they're like I think she said 600 words I don't know what that means because I'm not like a writer yeah, um they're, so short, but, they're not like yeah. long form but I've I obviously follow her on social media so I've been like reading them all and I'm like they all have like multiple sources and like statistics and things and I'm like again this is her full-time job so like obviously Mm -hmm. she's spending all day doing this but I'm just like I did not realize like especially like a millennial publication like Elite Daily a lot of people don't take it seriously but I've been reading her articles and I've definitely seen over the course of her time there her getting better as a writer like I think her articles Mm -hmm. as of late are stronger which is a good sign um but it's just super interesting like these if you think about Alana like she just personally is putting out four articles of varying topics every week and there's you know hundreds if not thousands of people like that just in New York you think about the flood of content um Mm -hmm. so that's been super interesting but anyways she posted and she was looking for the thing that she posted was she was like, I need sources for a story of millennials who have taken a significant other home on a holiday. And mm. I was like, that could be anything. I was like, I'm a millennial. So of course I like jumped on that. Cause I was like, this yeah. is relevant for the, t- for the podcast. So anyways, I'm, um, she sent me like a bunch of questions and it was like, just, I think the article is about, like young people bringing people home for the holidays. And I think I actually do have an interesting perspective on that. Cause I was going to talk mm-hmm. about when I brought Corey home for Thanksgiving, when, when he was still in the Marines and yeah, um, he met my family that way. So anyways, I will, sh- if I end up being in the article, I don't know she might cut me if I'm not interesting enough. Um, <laughs> but if I end up being in the article, of course I'll post it and you should all follow Alana Rubin because she writes a lot about millennials and about, she mostly writes about dating, but she writes about other stuff too and it's just been an exciting similar to Jen when we had her talk about BuzzFeed I'm just so fascinated by these kind of millennial brands like seeing them from the inside through my friends Mm -hmm. is super great so yeah no I totally agree um yay excellent do you have a campfire topic toasty and warm for us I have two great Um, not allowed just kidding yeah, sorry. The first is just I just wanted to say because I think it's important uh, for what we do. Uh, so as of the first of March, um, Pew, the you know whatever they are, I don't really totally understand what the Pew surveys are. They're like a uh, research but, company. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I knew that much. 
Um, but they have uh, finally defined, and they say this is the definitive definition of millennial, and mm-hmm. that is people born between 1981 and 1996. And shout out to my dad for sending me this article. Um, and it just was, I'm going to send this, we'll post this article because it had some interesting facts and figures in it that I don't necessarily need to go in now into uh, on the podcast. But um, it does talk about how, you know, there are two different waves of millennials and it talks about how it is important that we have a cutoff for the end of the millennial generation because as we've talked about many times on the podcast, often the generation distinction and youth culture do get a little mixed up. So um, I just thought that was a really great uh, uh, thing, a really great article. Um, But I did want to say this because I thought it was hysterical. Um, So whoever this writer was, uh, let me, it's maybe just uh, William Cummings for USA Today. He interviewed a uh, professor at the University of Virginia and this like cracked me up because this is basically what we do. Uh, And it says, uh, University University of Virginia Media Studies professor, and I'm going to butcher his last name, uh, Siva Vaidhyanathana, uh, who said, at best, generational studies are the equivalent of astrology and at worst, a source of bigotry, pointed to the muddy definitions as part of the problem with the concept of generations. Um, And then he said, I've been teaching at the university level for more than 20 years. And ever since I started teaching, I've been told about this strange creature called the millennial. But nobody has been able to tell me when those millennials arrived on Earth. No one has been able to tell me when those millennials will be displaced and get out into the world so I'm no longer teaching them. And every time I venture such a question, I get a completely different set of answers, which is suspicious. So anyway, I thought that was a fun little piece um and i will let you do yours and then if we have time i'll do my second one okay great yeah i think that's super interesting like i was getting worked up about it when i recorded with um caitlin because we were we were talking a lot about the the parkland activism and it just makes me so this is a, a larger thing it's not just people that are writing about parkland but the like group think in journalism now just like mm-hmm. i don't know what it is it's i don't know if it's laziness or if it's like people are like they're like oh if this article landed and i write something similar i know that it'll also find an audience like mm-hmm. i don't know if it's like data driven but it's like i'll see one p one place will have a think piece about how you know somehow the these youths in high school are so much better than the millennials even though the millennials spearheaded so much of the activism that you know gen x and the baby boomers kind of left to the wayside and millennials picked it up mostly gay marriage i think is one of the ultimate forms of activism that millennials have taken on and that has gotten no love in terms of you know generation and you know, really taking something that was very unpopular and making it supremely popular within the um, span of one generation, which is what these Parkland kids are trying to get to happen with guns. Like, to say, oh, we're done with the millennials and now these youths are coming up and to have that be, like, the hot take, like, really bothers me. And then also Mm -hmm. the flip side, the same publications. I'm like, who are the editors? This is what boggles the mind. Where I'm like, you have one writer saying having the clear distinction which at least they got that right where it's like okay the millennials are done now we have gen 
Z or whatever, and they're doing their own thing. Um, uh-huh. And then the same publication publishing something saying that the Parkland activists are millennials. I'm like, clearly you guys have no like fundamental editing process. But yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion about how fact checking and that kind of um, cohesiveness and coherence has been lost from in the age of 24 hour journalism. But alas. Yeah. And it's not even I don't know. I feel like there's so much going on about like prestige journalism and there is a mm-hmm. lot of good stuff going on but like I don't know I feel I was talking to Alana about this because I was like publications like Elite Daily get shit on but I was like the stuff that ends up on the front page of the New York Times as breaking news gets less editorial discretion than like Alana's mm-hmm. Elite Daily piece on dating you know what I mean so it just makes me mad when I'm like you're not even being like brand consistent so mm-hmm. that's just I my agree. thing um So my campfire topic was a book that I I will say I have not read, but I want to read. And it's a book by Kristen Newman, and it's called What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. Oh, I've wanted to read this, but I have not read it yet. Yeah. And I read a, a little review of it online, and it looked really good. But it was basically this woman, from what I've gathered, this woman, Kristen, it's her memoir, and it's about how she kind of went into her late 20s, early 30s, kind of unattached. And she made a conscious effort. Like, I think a lot of people reach that point And they're like, I'm going to make an effort to find someone and settle down. And she kind of went the opposite direction. And she was like, I want nothing to do with that. Not out of a sense of animosity, but she was like, I'm just not going to put a lot of pressure on this. And she ended up like doing a lot of traveling. And she wrote this book that was basically like, these are all the way these are all the things that I did kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing of like these are all the things that I did while my friends were like stuck at home having Mm -hmm. kids um and I've heard it's really funny and it's kind of you know satirical and not necessarily like oh my life is so much better because I'm single and doing all of these things um but more so just like I made my life how I want it to be and I didn't just follow the pattern or listen to all the people in my life that were like this is what you have to do and she ended up having all these really cool experiences that you know you can kind of only you know there's something to be said for traveling while you're young like if you if you do wait until you're you know retired like you don't get to have all of these experiences and there's nothing wrong with that but it's just different so I thought that was interesting it's a book that I want to read and I wanted to get um kind of your perspective on it since I don't really have friends that have kids so I don't really have yeah. that experience to compare it to yeah. um I- um, I definitely have about one million opinions on this, so I will try to keep my opinions to a minimum. Uh, first of all, I think the title is really inflammatory, and it's meant to be, and it definitely sold a lot of books. So I'm also interested to read it because it sounds like, you know, it wasn't necessarily a negative thing. Um, but I think there's a couple things, and I think what's important about a book like that is it shows that there are multiple choices, even for women, um, and they should all be valid. But I think there is a little bit when you are talking about things in that manner, it becomes a value judgment. Yeah, and it's it like, definitely Look what is I a little do. judgy. Um, and I think, you know, it's funny, I'm coming back to my friend Emily, who I talked about earlier, she's coming up twice in one episode. How interesting. So Emily, um, had her first so she's a couple years younger than I am and so she must have been 20 
I want to say like 22 when she had her first baby and she was married. Like this was a planned thing. Um, And she said to me at that time when she got pregnant that she was making a conscientious choice that she wanted to have her little babies when she was in her early 20s so she could spend her 30s and 40s working on her career and doing it in kind of that flip way. So she didn't. So I think, and again, and I've talked about this before uh, on the podcast and many times in my life, we, it's a very American concept that travel and adventure and exploration are sacred to youth um, because you don't find that outside of the U.S. I think Canadians in particular are really great about, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, they really value travel and they pass it on to their children and they travel with their children. So I think this whole concept of like, if you have a baby, you are stuck at home is a bit of a fallacy. That being said, traveling with a kid is a bitch. Doing many things with a child is not, are not fun. Um, But you still, even if you have a child, you have the opportunity to create the life that you want. And, you know, I think it's just validating all of these choices. And if you choose to have a kid and to build your life in your town, that is a wonderful and beautiful choice. And we need to respect that just as much as we um, and find not just the respect for that, but the interest in that, because I think that kind of day to day life is just as interesting as getting on that airplane yeah. and going to Bali. Well, that's what um, they talked about in this article, too, was her thing, which I agree the title and kind of the presentation of the book is like very in- inflammatory. And I think part of it's part of it is her being judgy, um, which I don't necessarily agree with, but something that was said in the article was like think about how many books are written about motherhood either like fiction books where there's a mother as a central character or memoirs that you can think of where being a mom is maybe not the central theme but at least a part of it you know I can Mm -hmm. many books come to mind but think about how many books are written about a young like 20 or 30 something just about their life that isn't like a celebrity memoir there really aren't a lot so to have this book that it's kind of I would disagree with voice. like I would definitely I mean again I haven't read the book and I'm sure you would disagree that it's that there are that it's a rare thing yeah because you also read more than I do so maybe you're aware of more yeah I mean off the top of my head I just immediately wild by Cheryl Strayed. Um, just these are the ones that everybody knows. Elizabeth Gilbert, obviously, Eat, Pray, Love. Um, you've got uh, Under the Tuscans. So these are all, this was very popular, particularly in the 90s and the early aughts. Um, you have a were ton all of those books. Ki- women childless when they wrote those books? Yes. Or like they were? They're written about childless. I mean, they yeah. now, well, Elizabeth Gilbert. Right, now they do. Her, but yeah. But yeah. Um, but Cheryl doesn't. The other woman. Yeah, that's so, I mean, true. I, I didn't think about those, but there's quite a bit written. But I do think. I mean, obviously, motherhood is a topic that takes up a so universal. Space. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing is it's it's more the um the reverence with which motherhood is treated and the fact that there is not a reverence given to this investment in oneself. Yeah. Um, for yeah, example, I think, I think Elizabeth Gilbert and Eat Eat Pray Love is an incredible book and it's a very powerful memoir um but it doesn't deserve the credit that it should because it's like oh this white lady went to india and did yoga 
you know, that's not what the book is about. It's, um, it's a beautiful book about travel and it's a beautiful book about New York. She writes things about New York that resonated with me from the time I first read it and to this day still resonate with me. So I, I think, I don't know, I think it's interesting. And I think, again, we've been talking so much about feminism lately, and this is another opportunity for women to build each other up. And I don't think my life is better or worse than my friends' lives who got married right out of college and have worked the same job and now have three babies, you know? Yeah, totally. I think it's just an example of, like, writing... I think there's this, like, false narrative that... And this... It irks me when people talk about, like, movies, too. It's not just books where it's, like, if one thing is put out into the world, it's automatically saying that it's taking away from something else as opposed to just standing mm-hmm. on its own and I think especially yeah. memoir and I agree like E Pray Love is not my favorite book but I definitely enjoyed parts of it and I see why it resonated with a lot of people but just because I didn't necessarily that book didn't speak to me in a way that it spoke to other people does not mean I was like oh well, yeah. why did she not write a book that was about me and there's not enough books about me out yeah. there no so and I think there is something to be said about I think because motherhood especially in your 20s and 30s is such a dominant narrative that someone Uh kind of on purpose inflammatory was like this is what I was doing while you were doing the dominant thing like I think she got shit on a little bit and I don't think it was super all of it was super deserved in that way um Mm -hmm. and I think it's just interesting and I think it it one person's story does not take away from someone else and this is you know what we were kind of talking about with Jen um, in her episode too, where it's like, you know, I think that conversation was cut a little short where it's like, if you do something nice for one group of people, it does not mean you're taking it away from someone else. And that exactly really bothers me. Um, so anyways, that's my, that's excellent. maybe we'll both that read the book excellent. at some point and we can yeah, discuss. Club. Once again, we yes. always say we're going to do this and then never I do. I like but I, I I do think it's an interesting, I don't know, I think in general what people write about and what gets published um, are, it's just, it's a fascinating rabbit hole to go down. It is. And I think women, women writers are put under a huge amount of scrutiny that male writers are not put under. It's true. Um, You don't ever have anyone having a conversation about a male writer going off and having an adventure or you don't, and that's lauded and if a male writer writes about being a dad that's lauded and yet you don't get that with women which I think is sad yeah so. it is yeah. so what is your second campfire um so my second topic was um this article I guess it was originally I don't know I found it on medium but I'm not sure uh where it was originally hired but um Anyway, it is about the company Beta Brand, which I always oh see, like, Oh, my God. Advertised. I love Beta Brand, and so does my mom. She bought me I a bunch of pants. I read this article about them, and I was just like, this is fascinating, because the whole thing apparently was started as a joke. And really? if you go <laughs> on their website, um, it talks about, like, all the different, um, like, things that they have and how it like you know they first started the first product were these corduroys that instead of having uh vertical cords had horizontal cords and it said it was to like reduce crotch fire (laughs) um 
But it's just really funny. And it talks about, you know, how it was kind of all a joke. But then at the end of the day, they actually were looking at problems that modern people are facing and figuring out a way to um, solve them. So I think it's just a really interesting story about a millennial company, uh, what they do, their amazing marketing, um, and, you know, how they're now this huge, huge company. And uh, the I think the yoga pant dress pants are oh, the yes. big thing. I are they good? I thought pairs. about buying them. Yeah, no, okay. my mom... Um she ended up getting them i don't know where she originally found them i'll have to ask her i don't know if it was on the internet or if she was just googling like comfy dress pants or something mm-hmm. um but she had surgery and she was like i need something that had that i can wear to work she works in an office and she was like normal dress pants are too restrictive but you can't wear she couldn't wear jeans because those are also restrictive but you can't wear just like straight up workout pants to an office yeah and she yeah. found beta brands and they do look like dress pants um Mm -hmm. and but they're literally made out of like your lululemon like that kind of stretchy material but they have belt loops and they look really nice and they're cut in a way that's not like skin tight like a workout pant so you can wear them in an office um and she really liked them and she had a pair that were like sparkly that she wore over christmas and i was like oh those are really cute and she ended up like having a store credit with them or something and she was like do you want to try a pair and i was like yeah and i've been wearing them to work and i wear them out and stuff like the sp- she got me a sparkly pair um, oh i love it so they're great i mean i'm all about comfortable stuff like and it's also so expensive to do dry cleaning in new york and you can wash the beta brand and apparently they do really good returns my mom was saying so i think it's it's nice it's cross-generational too like my mom is the one that turned yeah. me on to them so it's great and i I think what was really interesting about the article is two things. Is um, which it says these clothes are made for people who care less about clothes and more about how clothing can make their lives simpler and better. And then it goes on to talk to some other founders of like similar companies. And this guy Mike Mayer, who is the founder of Taylor Stitch, which is another company, it says it lets customers vote on which products are made. Um, but I think what he said about his product also applies to Beta Brand and applies to the way millennials are shopping. And it says it's not about the guy who is obsessed with fashion. It's the guy that is obsessed with function. I think that's more of the transition to the way the consumer is thinking right now. Um, In the age of technology and information, we're providing something a little more real time and like the future. And it talks about how fashion recently has gotten or, you know, in the past 10 years has kind of gotten so over the top that now millennials um, are kind of leading the charge and getting back to like a more uniform style of dressing and companies like beta brand are kind of um leading that charge yeah i think that's interesting and i think it's also because there's so much fragmentation in the market like i'm thinking about um like third love bras i'm sure you've heard like the advertisements owned one they're quite good yeah i haven't but i've been thinking about it um like things like that like movement watches um like thinks underwear mm-hmm. like God, all of I love these them. yeah like all of these things are you know very run-of-the-mill products but they're engineered in a way that's comfortable and that's um like functional for people and i think there's so yeah. much like if you just google like i want a comfortable yet nice looking set of underwear like there is a small if not large company that does that now that will you can mail order it and try it to you and they have free returns like I think that is totally something that not only millennials but I think a lot of like 
Gen X and boomer women also love. Like my mom, my dad jokes about it because he's like, we always have a box outside every day. It's either <laughs> from Amazon or it's from some other things. So my mom like orders a ton of shit online and then love it. it's wonderful. Um, she tries all sorts of brands and stuff. And I think that's great. Like they're not only appealing to millennials, but they're appealing to anyone that has figured out that free returns is the way of the future. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think you have to necessarily uh, sacrifice the form over function. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the the beta brand stuff, like, I think what makes it so unique is, like, yeah, you can buy the most basic pair if you want to kind of go for, like, the casual sort of, like, norm core millennial thing. Or you yeah. can buy, like, a really fancy, like, styled up pair, but they're just equally as comfortable, which I think is the genius of the brand. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to check them out. If I get a pair, I will give you guys a re- full review. Um, beta yeah. brand, sponsor us. Yeah, beta brand, a better way to wear pants. Mm-hmm. No? We no? have not made a Blue Apron joke in a while. I know, I know. I had to do it. I had to do it. So uh, it. sadly, campers, if I do not get outside in the next five minutes and 47 seconds, I'm going to be slapped with a parking ticket. Oh, no. So uh, God bless America. I'm glad we and- made it under the time. I know. I think this is a good episode. Maybe this is a some more, bringing you some more of what you love. I know. A some more with both of us. Yay. Some more of Maddie and Shay. All right. Bye, campers. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.